Kindred Church is a Christian community gathering in Reno, Nevada. We employ a dialogical teaching style, but for the sake of privacy, we remove the participants' responses from the recording. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, we'd love to have you join us in person or online. For more information about the church and for our service time, location, and virtual gathering options, visit kindredchurchreno.com. I don't remember Jurassic Park. (gasps) Blake loves it. Hello, Newman. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I think when I ever see that. Oh, it's Jeff Goldblum's like best role too. I really liked him in Ragnarok too. He's embracing his inner weirdness and yeah. his acting these days. Yeah. We all are. Yeah, That's great for sure. Well, let's get into it. Let's do it, Robert, Michael. Welcome to the podcast. Mm, here we are we're doing it right now. It's so weird. You just like go from talking to all of a sudden we're publishing some content. Now we're podcasting. Yes, we weren't, and now we are. Let's <laughs> so, do it. The uh, reason we're doing it in this format is because a couple weeks ago we tried to get together with the church and the trailer was stuck in my driveway, which in the snow becomes a sledding course. It's a situation. It's It's a a very sketchy thing. So we'll just do it in a podcast and I will try to anticipate the kinds of questions that people might have. So we're picking back up in the Advent series. We've been discussing joy, hope, peace, and love. Yeah, we've already done hope and joy. I did joy this past weekend. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to tackle peace, right? Which is the one we missed. Peace. So we'll be talking about peace now together now, right today. Now. Yeah. So in prep for, you know, leading the discussion among our community, where were you wanting to go with this? What was on your mind? It was kind of serendipitous because in this past season, I've been really meditating on Genesis 1 and 2 and God's purpose for creation. When God created the world... There was peace. There was what the Hebrew Bible refers to as shalom. Mm. Shalom is is not just an absence of conflict. Right. You have war and then you have peace, right? That's not what the Hebrew Bible would conceptualize as shalom. It's more than that. It's wanting the best for one another. It's brotherhood. It's sisterhood. It's fellowship. It's everything as it should be. And one of my old mentors, Danny Daly, would say, it's essentially everything as it should be. It's creation working in harmony the way God intended creation to interact with itself. Mm-hmm. And, and so you're saying that shalom and peace essentially refer to the same existential reality. Yeah, our translators in the modern English Bible, peace is the word that they've used to translate the Hebrew word shalom. I gotcha. And then in the New Testament, we have the word adrene, which is also translated as peace. Right. I was thinking about this the other day because there's like a handgun or something called a peacemaker. Isn't that ironic? It's so ironic so that ironic. a weapon has peacemaker written on the side of it. Yeah. And the idea being that I can end this conflict by ending your life. And therefore, this is my peacemaker. That's not peace. No. Nope. nope. <laughs> Should we get into some gun control stuff? Do we want- could if you want to. <laughs> no, let's we'll save that for another day. Yeah, another episode. <laughs> but yeah, I agree with you. That is uh that is perfectly ironic and terrible in every way. So wholeness is another kind of idea when we're speaking about shalom. In the more of the general version of Hebrew, the concept could be wholeness. An example that I read was like a wall, right? So a stone wall. Imagine the Berlin Wall. When it was in one piece and this is also going to be ironic, it was in Shalom. Mm. That physical item, when it was in its completed state, had Shalom. Right. When there's a section of it missing and there's a hole in it, right, and all of a sudden it's not an effectual wall anymore because you can just walk right through it, Mm. then it's no longer in a state of Shalom. It's broken. There's a a piece missing. It's no longer whole. And then God's intention for true Shalom is for humanity to not only set any wrongs right, but to seek the good of one another. 
So if I'm concerned for your well-being, that's contributing to God's intended state of shalom in the world. There's two creation accounts, which I really love that there are two because people get confused by that. And it's really, if you look at it, it's it's intending to show God as separate and distinct and above his creation in the first creation account. So God ordered the cosmos and he separated the dry from the wet, essentially the mm-hmm. light from the dark. And then as he began to order creation, he would bring the animals before the man and the man would name them. And then the second creation account, it's very tactile. He's a part of the story, part of the drama. He's touching the man and breathing air into his mm-hmm. nose. And it's very much that, that God is, is interacting with humanity. So it's just a really nice picture of the way that God created an intended creation to interact with itself. And the only time when God's intention for Shalom existed on the earth sure. was Genesis 1 and 2. We find ourselves the way we are today in a state of Unshalom. <laughs> is there like a Hebrew word that's That's a good question. Shalom? Not that I came across. That, that wasn't exactly exists. a softball question. That's like a genuine yeah. Mike Mumford curiosity. Yeah. Like, wow, is there an anti-shalom word in the yeah. Bible? There might be. I had a discussion with Ryan Smith years ago on the podcast about mm-hmm. justice mm. and the words tov and ra. That's basically good and evil. Mm-hmm. But when we think about evil, we think about like heinous darkness, you know, that corrupts goodness in every way. But the idea in the Bible would be that something's not as it should be. Mm. It's not in that state of shalom. And he used the description of like a sidewalk that the roots of the trees are like breaking up the sidewalk. Well, Mm. that's a bad sidewalk. And it's not because it's like, no, shame on you, sidewalk. You shouldn't be so bad. (laughs) But it's like, it's not fulfilling the purpose. And in fact, it actually causes problems for people as they walk on it, especially for those who are less able to fend for themselves, whether they're Mm -hmm. elderly or children or something like that. Someone who can't get past that obstacle as easily as an able-bodied person. You know what I'm saying? Like that now is a raw sidewalk. Yeah. It almost kind of seems like how you're talking about the wall, not being a state of shalom. Mm -hmm. It's not doing a thing and it causes problems for people. Well, that's a raw wall. And when it's in a state of disarray, it's our job to fix it. Part of where we're missing the mark is not caring for the earth properly. Mm. You know, we've chosen profits essentially over the goodness of the planet. Humanity's job is to care for the earth. A lot of the commands in in the Torah for agriculture, the fields were supposed to rest every seven years is a year off. You're not supposed to touch this plot of land. This field needs to rejuvenate itself once a year for Mm. the good of the planet. And humanity has ignored those for the sake of wealth and greed and profit. And it's a problem. And our kids are going to have to pay for it. And then the generations after that, and who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. I always tell Leon, like, because Leon's really concerned about like climate change and Mm -hmm. pollution. Like every time he sees a piece of trash that's been littered, he gets visibly angry about it. It's not like, It's not like, oh, weird, there's a Fritos bag on the street. He's like, why in the world would anybody in their right mind just throw trash on the ground? Don't you know the earth is dying? Blake, too. School must be doing a good job. Have you seen that Strange World, that new movie? It's a Disney movie that came out? Not yet. Mm -hmm. It's very good. It comes out on Disney Plus on the 23rd, I think. It's a lot of that same concept. I won't spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it, who's listening to the podcast right now, but it's very, very good. We're teaching no matter what, Yeah. right? We're seeding their imagination with certain thoughts and ideas. Kind of back to the idea of the creation account and the early books of the Bible, especially, gets the seed ideas of how humans are going to interact with the world and interact Mm -hmm. with one another that are being planted in the early chapters of Genesis. Yeah. So 
as this world has gone farther into a state of unshalom, we have human beings at odds with each other. We're looking to exploit one another, accuse one another. No one's giving themselves and each other the benefit of the doubt. We misunderstand each other all the time. And we are obsessed with financial security and do unspeakable things to each other to have more of that. And we have severely damaged this planet for the sake of profits, stock prices, greed. And yeah. it really bothers me. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a bothersome reality. You know? And that's part of what I believe is is God's intention for humanity is to pursue justice, not just for the world, but for, you know, like we talk a lot about it, kindred, marginalized and oppressed people and bringing them to the center and lifting them up and making sure that each individual person realizes that they are valued and have dignity and worth. And uh, like we were talking about in our meeting the other day. A huge value of Kindred Church is making sure that the world knows that we value the dignity of human beings, and we mm-hmm. are going to operate that way, and we're committed to that purpose and mission. How correlated in the Bible are the idea of justice and the idea of peace? When you think of those two things, how similar are those concepts as far as like how the Bible describes them? Yeah, I would say justice would be an element within a world that is as it should be. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So, in a state of shalom, justice would be met everywhere. There would be no injustices. It's almost like the concept of justice disappears in a world of yeah, just is. shalom. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't know what injustice is right. because it, justice would be everywhere. There'd be no— All the time. There'd be no contrast to the concept of justice. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, it would just kind of fade into the white noise of right. existence. Yep. I think so. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Tripping out. I know. <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of the, the main theme and thread of the biblical narrative is this idea of shalom, we being in a state of non-shalom, and God's call for us to participate in the increase of shalom. I don't think God intended for us to be able to restore it perfectly, but I think that was his call. And that's what he was beginning in Genesis, was to call a people to himself to be his representatives in creation to begin to restore some shalom. And that's the story of Jesus. That's Mm -hmm. the story of Advent, is that we needed the human that God intended to steward creation well. Because we kept falling short, Jesus was going to be that exemplar. Mm -hmm. So he comes, shows us how to do it, gives us a glimpse, gives us a taste of what that looks like, lives 33 years, and then the Bible tells us that he's going to come back and restore it perfectly. The story ends back in shalom, in a state of shalom. And that's a huge aspect of what Advent is. You know, it's really interesting, as you were saying that, I was having what was a novel thought for me, probably not novel in the collective consciousness of biblical thinkers, but the largest rift maybe that there's ever been between shalom and the way things are right now is that crucifixion moment, that the one completely pure person is being killed, and there's no justice being served to those who killed him. Instead, there is forgiveness being offered through the act of killing him. Isn't that crazy? That's the upside-down kingdom. Yeah. It's like, because you did the most heinous thing possible by murdering the most beautiful thing that's ever existed, now you can be forgiven of your sins. I know. That's crazy crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, we could discuss the upside-down kingdom and how inverse God's logic is, you know, in contrast to human beings. And that's one of the most profoundly beautiful things about Christianity. Sure. That's why I'm still a Christian. Like, I've been through the throes of it. Being in ministry for most of my life at this point, I'm 35, and I started when I was 15. So I'm officially 
more of my life I've been spending in ministry than not, Mm. which is an interesting thing to think about from an individual's experience of life. So I've been through the throes of, do I really believe this? Is this really true? Like, what parts of it are true? How much of it is real? How much of it is a metaphor or an allegory? And I never land in a place where I feel like I know what it is now. Mm. And that's the beauty of being in the mystical way of experiencing Christianity, is the not knowing is part of the fun. But at the same time, one of the main reasons why I've stayed with it is because the story is so wild and it makes so little sense until the whole story is finished, I just can't walk away from it. I'm ever fascinated with the Christian story. I just can't stop. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Back to peace? Yeah. So the passage that I've settled on is in Isaiah, and we talk about how Jesus is our Prince of Peace. Mm -hmm. He is the one that's going to come and be that representative of humanity. And there's more to it than that, right? There's more to Christ's life, death, and resurrection than just being that example to humanity for how we were to steward God's creation. But part of what Jesus was doing was to be God's representative, to be his true human on earth, to be God's blessing to the nations. Right. We couldn't do it. He sent Jesus. And in the book of Isaiah in chapter 9, we get a glimpse of this. And Isaiah says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied exultation. You have increased in its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, and as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders and the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Great will be his authority, and there will be endless peace. For the throne of David and his kingdom, he will establish and uphold it with justice, with righteousness, from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isn't that cool? It's very cool. I know you were kind of like late to the game of converting to Christianity. Did you ever hear the Prince of Peace song? It's very like, uh, you know, youth group summer camp vibes. Oh, yeah. No, missed all that. It was a good one. You know what's funny about that text you just read is like Mm. the description of like what's happening. Like the rod of the oppressor is broken and, you know, the... The Israelites are dividing the riches of the oppressor like plunder and, you know, and like talks about like how God's going to stamp out all this wickedness because a baby Mm. is born, which is just like, I feel like the whole passage is leading you to think because this mighty warrior has arisen from the ashes and leads us with his swift and powerful sword, you know, kind of stuff. But where it culminates is. Because of a nursing baby. Yeah. It's the inverse kingdom. The way God chose to invoke his power in the world is through weakness and peace and humility. I mean, we see that over and over again in the scriptures. He's not going to confront power with power. Right. That's not the character of God. The character of God is meekness and humility and gentleness. And it culminates in the coming of Christ as this little tiny baby coming to stomp out, like you said, oppression and power and marginalization and all these establishments that just do whatever they want and they take whatever they want. Have you seen the Hulu documentary series about the Falwells? No. It's intense. Mm. This man is the epitome of what God is going to come to crush, especially because it's done in the name of God. Wow. 
And it's just depressing the way Christianity has succumbed to these seductions of power mm-hmm. in this country, in the world, really. So, in the contrast of that, Jesus comes as a baby. God came in this most humble and meek way to turn upside down all of these powers of authority in the system that we've got. And that's just how God operates. Yeah. I think a lot about just an idea that is constantly in my imagination and in my mind is like the idea of contrast, right? Mm -hmm. So music, for example, you don't know what music is unless you're not hearing sounds. You're right. If it's if it's all one sound, then there's no such thing as music because you can't distinguish it from. You need something a variation. Else. You need an opposite. You need a contrast. The difference between you and me as individuals. I need you to be you so that I can be me. And if you're not being you and you're just trying to be me, then I don't know which one's you and which one's me. It's like when you're looking in a mirror. It's like, am I the guy in the mirror moving around, or am I on this side moving around and that thing just copies me? You have to have a a differentiation to know that it is what it is. Right. And I think about that with God being the compulsively creative being. Like, by God being what God is, it can't not create a thing to exist in. It just, like, has to have a space, you know? Mm-hmm. I think about seeing Jesus's personality in the scripture and how God continues to depict itself through the prophets and things like that as the power and weakness thought process. Like, if God the all-powerful one, truly is God, then his power and his meekness have to exist simultaneously for you to see that it is God. Yeah. Kind of seems like the eternal loop that we're all in. There's the beginning where there's no room for things to be wrong because they just started being. And then the loop starts where it starts to leave that state of perfection. It gets worse and worse and worse. And then God floods the earth and starts over, right? And then the loop starts again. If you were to like break it up like the dispensationalists do and go through the different covenants that God makes with his people, you could probably look at the loops that way and be like, God's starting over with a fresh slate somehow. You know, it's probably not an orthodox thing to say, but you get the idea. Conceptually speaking, it's this loop that we find ourselves somewhere in at some point. And as a human, I'm just participating in whatever part of the loop I'm in, trying to push it towards the way the loop naturally wants to go, which seems to be back towards Shalom. That, I think, is the biggest element of transformation. And I've got in here in my notes a question that I was going to ask. What what do we think about when we think about peace, when we think about Shalom? And for me, it's there's a feeling, there's a sense in my soul that there's something wrong in this world. And I feel motivated to be a part of its change and also powerless sometimes to do anything about it. Does mm-hmm. that resonate? It's like, oh, 100%. My heart breaks. I think this week or last week, there was a big sting operation where like 20 men were arrested for soliciting minors for sex work in mm-hmm. this town. In Reno? In Reno. Oh, my God. 18, 19 men. And it happens periodically. I think there was another one a couple of months ago. So at Kindred, we talk so much about social justice. We talk so much about being a part of of something that's going to increase the shalom in our city and in this world, and just to be a part of God's mission to restore this world to shalom, which, which like we talked about, is is essentially impossible for us to do on our own and is going to be completed when, when Jesus comes back one day. But we're still seekers of justice mm-hmm. in this world, and we're talking— in our meetings about next year and how to do some some outreach projects where we can start to alleviate some of the suffering and the injustices in our city. Mm-hmm. And I just, sometimes I feel defeated. It's like, I want to do this and I'm motivated to do it and I'm, let's get together and let's make a plan. But at the same time, this world is so broken. We're such a state of unrest and, and unshalom that, that I just long for that return of Jesus 
for mm-hmm. that to be complete one day. And I think that's part of how we were created to be the stewards that God intended to care in perfect shalom for creation. There's something in me that longs for that and it's missing. It's like mm-hmm. a hole, you know? And that's what I think about when I think of peace is this promise that it's going to be restored, but I'm still living in the state of unshalom. We have promises, uh, but we're still called to work and to do and to be a part of God's justice in the world today. It's just a, it's kind of a uncomfortable place to be, I found. Yeah. You know, in a similar way, talking about the contrast, it's like the fact that you feel that void in you to have perfect peace tells me that perfect peace exists somewhere out there. Or it will. Yeah. And that's what I mean. It's yeah. like, that's the hope of the, of our Christian faith is that perfect peace is on its way. But if there was no such thing as perfect peace, then maybe we would just all be very satisfied with conflict, mm. you know? And there probably have been times in human history where that's the case. And that's part of the loop. Where are we at right now in the cycle? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's kind of the role of the prophets in the Bible. You see them calling out certain things that God's people are ignoring or participating in in order to mm-hmm. go against peace, mm-hmm. you know, or just totally blind to altogether. And the prophets show up and they go, hey, like, this is not going to work. If you want to experience the peace that you long for, this is the wrong direction. But uh, so I think kind of therein lies the pain of being a human is knowing that probably not in my lifetime is it going to be back to full shalom and trying to be okay with that. Yep. Isaiah does talk about what he foresaw when shalom returns. Mm. Let me read this real quick. Isaiah 11. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge for the poor and decide with equity for the oppressed of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, which is a baby goat, for those of you that don't know that. Mm. The calf and the lion will feed together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This stuff always really interests me as, you know, I don't think this is literal, right? Like I think in the resurrected shalom state that Jesus is going to reinstate someday. If there are lions, I don't imagine they're going to be vegetarians. (laughs) I just think this is kind of metaphorical language, right? right? That line is built different. Right, right. (laughs) We need like a serious uh, soy, source of soy for these lions in the the resurrected state. Um, I'm not sure how all that's going to work, but I was thinking about modern equivalents of this. Like if, if Isaiah lived today, he'd be like, and the child may play on the freeway. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. You're just not worried about your kid wandering away into some dangerous situation because we live in a perfect state of shalom. We don't have to worry about that. Right. I tend to think that the future human experience, whatever that is, mm. is so unrelatably different than what we experience now that there's no way to truly describe it. 
So you have to use this kind of language. I agree with you, but I think it's going to be so physical too. It's going to be strikingly similar. Culturally, it's going to be more different than we can even imagine, but we're still going to touch things. It's still going to be very tactile. I'm still going to be able to hug you. You know, it's going to be physical, but we can't even conceptualize culturally how much peace and love and perfection and mutuality is going to occur. And uh, it's going to be pretty fantastic. The biggest thing, and I don't dwell on this, but I hear a lot of people do, is looking at at things around them as threats. And Gombas talks a lot about Tim Gombas, for those of you that don't know, is a biblical studies scholar that I really like. He talks about what happens in Genesis 3 is that all of a sudden Adam and Eve are the pictures of humanity being worried about someone taking advantage of them. That's why they realize that they're naked. Right. They're vulnerable. They're worried about the other person taking advantage of them. And it's just this removal of knowing that they're safe. Yeah, what really fascinates me about that particular part of the human origin story in the Bible. So you have Genesis 1 and 2, everything's made, it's all good. Then you have Genesis 3, you know, with the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil from the tree. And then Genesis 4 starts to describe some of the problems that are now happening. And the first thing that gets talked about is Cain killing his brother Abel, because the threat that God will favor you more, and I don't know why, so I'm going to kill you. You know what I'm saying? So that I'm the only one left to receive the favor that seems to be limited. And then the next thing that happens is Lamech takes two wives. So there's the fear of scarcity, and then there's the addiction to abundance. Mm. Because his whole thing is like, come, wives of Lamech, and hear me. If a man looks at me, I'll kill him. And if a man kills one of my men, I'll kill 700 of his or whatever, like all this stuff. And it's this total excess. To establish power and control and status. Mm -hmm. So Cain and Abel is fear of scarcity. And then Lamech is the pursuit of excess. Yep. Isn't that crazy? Hoarding. Yeah. And that's the beautiful story about how Jesus feeds the 5,000. Right. We've got a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread, and it's enough. Yeah. And in the kingdom of God, there's plenty. Yeah. And you don't need to worry. You don't need to step on anyone's neck to make sure that you have a piece of fish and a loaf of bread. Right. All you got to do is sit down in the grass. You know, all you got to do is sit down in the grass. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know how long we've been going, but I've got a concluding thought. So in closing, I leave you with this. We are being invited into his kingdom, not to enter only, but to participate in the work that God is doing, to see the injustice and the oppression in the world, and as a community, stand together and declare in one voice that we are not okay with our fellow image bearers being cast aside and left on the margins, that we will align with the will of God and serve and love this world in weakness, as was the example of our Savior. This is my prayer for you, for us, that our eyes would be opened to the injustices in this world that our eyes would be open to the hungry child and the poverty that has her family in chains. We would pursue justice in this world where it is lacking, that this is the purpose and mission of the Church of Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus came and will come again, and this is what he is saving us to. So this is our call, to be agents of flourishing and blessing to the world on God's behalf until Jesus advents once again. The one who, when he comes again, will fully and completely restore shalom to this world. Mm. Can't wait. Can't wait. It's going to be a party. really is. All right. Well, thank you, Rob. It's super insightful. It's funny. Like, your topic is not hope, but, like, the idea of peace is what we hope Mm -hmm. for, you know, and the Prince of Peace. Yeah, the four elements of Advent are always very connected. Well, thanks, buddy. Great job. Thank you. All right. Love you all. 
We hope you enjoyed what you just heard. Kindred Church is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. If you find value in the ministry of Kindred Church and would like to contribute to our efforts, visit kindredchurchreno.com to donate. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email kindredchurchreno at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.